Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back and the road to WrestleMania 38 is officially underway now that we have gotten through the first Raw post-Royal Rumble with the biggest event of the year for WWE well within our sights. Silver Kick is here. Vintage Chris Manini will be joining me momentarily to break down everything that happened across SmackDown that we didn't talk about already. Uh, Raw, the Raw after the Royal Rumble, and some fallout, some takes, uh, opinions and thoughts, news reports coming out of what was... Probably one of the most disappointing WWE pay-per-views or premium live events, whatever you want to call it, that we've gotten in quite some time. So we have plenty to talk about on today's show. We're excited to bring it to you as always. But also, as always, we need to kick off the show the way we always do, by reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, now and forever. It's all about so please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop a five-star rating for us on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. We would greatly appreciate it. Your ratings, your reviews, all that type of stuff really significantly helps us get more listeners and grow the podcast. As always, if you leave a five-star review, we read it on the show. Slim Slimming Tim on January 20th. Uh, it doesn't hurt that the headline of his uh, review is Silver King Rules, with an exclamation point. Uh, Adam is spot on with the Walter situation. Great analysis of that. Keep it up, man. Love the podcast. Thanks. I really appreciate you writing in there and praising me because, hey, praise the Silver King. You're going to get on the show. You're going to get airtime. That's how it works around these parts. Uh, let me welcome in Chris. Chris, as you can tell, uh, I'm not sounding my normal self. Some would say it's an improvement, uh, maybe a little bit deeper voice than usual. Uh, but yeah, that that dry throat turned into a sore throat, turned into, I think, a cold. I do have a, a COVID-19 test, PCR test that I'm waiting results for. I think I'm okay. I don't think I have COVID. Uh, but man, this is not going away. It's lingering and it's really a pain in the ass right now. So um, I kind of wanted to bring you in here. I know that there's been a topic you and I have been discussing offline that you've wanted to bring online into the show. And that is John Cena's turn as Peacemaker, not only in the Suicide Squad movie, which I don't think we ever talked about here, but in this new HBO Max series that's currently running, I am five episodes in. I believe I'm fully caught up. I think I watched the latest one last night. This is just a triumph as far as I'm concerned. He is absolutely crushing it. Yeah, well, for, first off, by the way, that 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 throat issue you're dealing with, that's a shoot, people. It's oh, not yeah, a this work. is no, there's no, I have, this I have, is re- a shoot. I have Ricola in my mouth. I had green tea earlier. I have a huge jug of water next to me. No, this is a shoot for sure. Did did you put the, the stroopwaffle uh, with the tea? No, because it's it has sugar and caramel and with oh, a throat, okay. you don't really want that type of stuff. <laughs> um, so All no, right. unfortunately, but I did buy a new entire package of decaffeinated green tea. So there will be plenty of stroopwaffles in the future once this gets cleared up. There we go. So yeah, well, he's, uh, he's working through some adversity today, but, but yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about Peacemaker because you don't watch The Mandalorian, so we can't talk about Sasha Banks in there. But Peacemaker is different because John Cena is the lead of this show, which is based off of a movie he was in. And man, it's funny. And it's not just funny. 
But with each episode, it gets more and more. Uh, uh, you just it gets charming. deeper. Charming. It's charming you, for me. Yeah, yeah, like like like, and I'm just I'm on the edge of my seat every single time Cena's character says something. Like he's just incredibly funny. Show's great. HBO Max. Yeah, I think five episodes in. I think there's seven total for the season. So. Oh, really? So it's almost done in two weeks? That sucks. Or maybe maybe it's nine. Maybe it's eight or nine. I'm not I sure. I was hoping it'd be 10 in, or 13. Damn. I'm getting that okay. and Boba Fett mixed up. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. So yeah, I mean, what are you so what are you thinking of it? I just love it. Um, you know, Cena, he when he first went to Hollywood and he started acting, he really floundered in a major way. It just wasn't working, right? And he has found his niche and his niche is, first of all, it's comedy, number one, but it's comedic characters where his look works for him, uh, that size, that strength. You know, he has played some comedic roles where I guess he doesn't stereotypically have to be a big guy, but you think about, um, and I'm going to botch the name of the movies. I'm I'm, I'm, not forget botch. I'm going to forget them completely. But the movie he's in where he's the drug dealer with Tina Fey. And Amy Poehler, um, that small role he had was absolutely incredible. Um, the most recent movie uh, that he was in where he was like a, a crazy dude. It, it was a streaming movie where he um, he and his girlfriend, I think it was, were vacation friends, I believe is the name of the movie, um, where they were just like these two crazy outlandish people who I think he was ex-military in it. Um, both of them were just absolutely hysterical roles for him. And that, those are just small examples of other major movies he's been in recently that he's crushed. Uh, I didn't like him in, I believe it was Fast and the Furious 9, the most recent uh, turn on that, because it was the, the comedic nature wasn't there. And I think Peacemaker, the reason I'm talking about those other films and bringing it back here, Peacemaker has really put those two sides together. It has the action and the physical element that you know he obviously can do because he's freaking John Cena. But it also brings in that personality that he can display. And, you know, he's very much unlike The Rock in that way, where The Rock can do it all. You've seen just pure action movie performances. You've seen um, more emotional takes from The Rock on screen. But then every once in a while, you get that perfect character for The Rock as well. And an example of that, I would use uh, that movie Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart. That type of role is a role John Cena could play. So... I am personally loving Peacemaker. If you're not a comic book fan and you just flew into this series, you could still watch it. Like you would you would be able to pick it up and understand the character and have a pretty good yeah. grasp on what's going on without having watched the movie. And, and I'll tell you, I'm I'm not a comic book guy. I do like comic book movies. So the MCU, what Marvel's doing, DC, you know, I, I don't think I've seen all of them, but I watch like, the important ones, anything having to do with Batman or Superman or I think Wonder Woman I've seen, although 84 was absolutely horrendous. Um, so, you know, the first Suicide Squad I saw, I thought it was terrible. I trepidatiously watched the second one, the newest one, and it was fantastic. Cena was a huge reason why. So when mm-hmm. they came out with this series, I was really excited for it. And it is delivered in a major way. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we, we've seen Cena do the action role stuff. We've seen Cena do the funny stuff. And so I'm curious how the rest of this show will go without spoiling what's happening. But um, we're learning about a, a kind of a tragic backstory to his character. And I think it was episode four ended on a pretty emotional note. So I'm curious how 
Cena will handle that because I don't think we've seen that from him as an actor yet. But um, th- there's a funny bit after episode five where he's just naming all these people that could have been framed for something instead of his father. And he's listing off just nonstop celebrities. And I'm wondering if that was one take because John, we, we know what Cena is on the mic and we know he could he could probably improvise pretty well in a lot of those situations. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to open up this show by saying uh, Peacemaker is yeah. good and wanted to acknowledge it. I also wondered if that was improv or uh, scripted. I was very yeah. curious about that. Uh, the other thing is he didn't mention any wrestlers, like all of the yeah. types of of personalities and celebrities he mentioned. I mean, he went from Elvis Presley to um, what's her name? Ariana Grande uh, to Howard Stern and Baba Booey. Um, and by the way, I think this, that's Ronald the first McDonald, time I've actually, it's just nonstop. Yeah. And Robin Ophelia Quivers. I think that's actually the first time I've actually been able to name drop Baba Booey on this podcast, which to me is a personal, <laughs> personal thrill. Um, but out of all of that, you know, Dwayne Johnson, Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, like there's so many names, Steve Austin, that he could have thrown in there. It was a great spot to do a wrestling reference, and I was really surprised that they didn't. But uh, very entertaining episode, very entertaining series, highly recommend it. And I really highly recommend HBO Max, period. It's it's a very good streaming service, except for their UI. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. Using the app sucks. It's worse than Peacock, actually. Uh, but the content is fantastic. By the way, one more thing before we get to wrestling. I'm not a big cough drop guy, um, but these Ricola honey herb cough drops are absolutely delicious. And like, they're so good that it's probably worth having occasionally like as candy outside of whatever. But <laughs> I, I, I do want to point out, I was reading the directions for Ricola cough drops. I was just bored and I was sick. So I was reading it. You know, I always thought my whole life you take a cough drop and then it's done and you have another one 30 minutes later or whatever. The directions for Ricola, or Ricola, I guess technically is what it is, is to have three of them consecutively, one at a time. And I never heard of that, never knew that. So I did it. I started doing it a couple of days ago, and it definitely works better. I mean, no surprise, you're getting three times as much, but it definitely works better to do it by the instructions. Go figure. Uh, so anyway, that's my uh, Ricola take right there. Hey, Ricola, so- if you want to sponsor, hit us up. Yeah, uh, especially the honey herb. You guys can send me a case because these are absolutely delicious. Uh, Okay, Chris, let's talk some wrestling here. Um, Before we get to the main event, I wanted to do a little bit of an overview coming out of the Royal Rumble and also discussing the TV shows. SmackDown and Raw this past week. I mean, I don't know if it's just me because we haven't talked about it. Both of those shows were huge improvements from the television that we've been getting from WWE recently. SmackDown in particular did a much, much better job giving matches time. None of the matches on the entire show were notably short. And the same thing happened on Raw, where I think the shortest real match on the show was six minutes, and it was a women's match. But that's what we always say. Like, the minimum for a women's match would be six, seven, eight minutes if one of the competitors is maybe not great. And that was the case here, you know, with Carmella, who's serviceable, but certainly not, you know, amazing in any way. I just... I was very pleased with the television product that we got on Friday and Monday. I thought SmackDown was the best SmackDown we've had in months, um, especially when you consider the two main matches on the show and the main event segment with Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Raw heavily focused on wrestling because it had three qualification matches and a semi-strong women's feud that it had a match for. And it just shows to me what we've been saying is true. Simply putting wrestling on the show 
with cohesive storylines surrounding it makes all of the difference. You don't need to force feed me two hours or two and a half hours of storyline and then just throw in 30 minutes of wrestling, sprinkling it in. It should really be not directly the other way, but a 50-50 balance for WWE is really all we ask for. And I think it's what we got on Friday and Monday. My only real problem with what happened Monday was they did the Elimination Chamber qualification matches. They threw three of them on one episode. I would love for you to spread that out over two weeks so we get a couple of weeks where, you know, there's a lot of wrestling and and we get to enjoy it. Now, you know what they're going to do, the matches against each other, the tags, the Fatal 4-Ways, all that type of shit heading into the pay-per-view. But I was I was thoroughly entertained by SmackDown and Raw to the point, Chris, where I think this was the first time. I don't want to say since we started the podcast, because I'm sure there's been other times, but the first time in a long time where TV for a week was better than the pay-per-view. Yeah, I really liked Raw. This was the most enjoyable Raw in quite a while, and it was pretty simple. They had stakes. They had uh, important matches. And sauce, by the way. Steaks and steak sauce, yes. They had almost every match on Raw, I think, had a clean finish. Like, like it was just like, oh, like, we can do it. You're always, (laughs) the problem with watching WWE is that you're so often just dreading the finish to come (laughs) because you're waiting the night before the Rumble or two nights before. We get DQ finishes, schmoz finishes, all this kind of stuff. We just got a bunch of clean finishes for important matches and it set up a big event. Like, boom. Great. Every match, every match was a minimum of six minutes and ended in pinfall or submission. And only one of those had a schmoz finish. And that was the Miz Ray Mysterio one that furthered the storyline. So yeah. Dominic Mysterio one, I'm sorry. Great, great stuff. Jimmy, I, that, that Raw ended, I was like, whoa, I, I'm like, I was I was ready for Raw to keep going. And that is not typically the case. Yeah, you know what? Like, in fact, my biggest problem with Raw was that not that some of the matches were too short, but that I wanted them to go longer. Like that AJ Styles, Rey Mysterio main event. I could have watched that, you know, for 30 minutes and it was like mm-hmm. 12. And that, you know, that was disappointing. But the bookings were good. Everything made sense across the entire show. There was really nothing. You know, I don't want to break the packaging here on our good, bad and ugly segment. I think I only had one ugly. And it was the very last thing we saw on yeah. WWE TV this week. The rest of the shows were mostly good. I mean, there were a couple sprinkled bads in there, but many of them were just judgment calls. You know, there was nothing offensive, really, on WWE television this week. And that's, in so many ways, a positive. Um, Chris, one other thing I wanted to talk about coming into the Royal Rumble, just a takeaway that frustrated me when I looked back on it, because I, I did want to rewatch, not the main event, but the final 10 minutes of the Royal Rumble, just to, I had my head down, I was taking notes for the instant analysis. I didn't really get to see it. I was going to say enjoy it, but. You know, I didn't get to experience it the way probably most others did. Looking back on it, the biggest frustration is that over the last few months since his return to WWE, Brock Lesnar had really won me over. I mean, there was a long period of time where you guys as listeners know, I was just completely fed up with Brock Lesnar. It was the same thing every match. The character was the same thing every time he was on screen. And of course, in addition to those two things, he was always shoved into title matches and title feuds where he simply does not need to be. Now, that latter point still exists, obviously, and apparently it's never going to go away with Brock. But in terms of character and on-screen entertainment, I had been more entertained by him than I have in years. Yet WWE 
did that one thing they always do and has just overpushed people in ways that are against the wishes of their fan base and against the what would otherwise be considered better judgment. Everything Lesnar does, like starting today onward, to me, is going to be an eye roll because I know the end result, yep. and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But they went from having me really care about Brock and even get invested in the Brock Reigns storyline to a large degree. And this is all the way leading up to day one. And I know that they had their backs against the wall and they had to make some really tough decisions in day one because Roman Reigns got COVID. He wasn't able to participate. But it's like every single decision they made is the wrong one. And usually with WWE, despite our major frustrations with them, when their backs are against the wall, they usually make great decisions. That's usually when they shine. Instead, it's the exact opposite. As far as I'm concerned, every decision they've made in terms of the main event since learning that Roman Reigns was unavailable due to COVID has been the wrong decision. Yes, although we may have been getting there anyway. I mean, obviously, Brock Roman seemed to be kind of what they were hitting at for a while now. And yeah, it feels like that like 2013 to 2016 period where like it was Brock and Roman all the time. And, and they told a different story this time around and it worked. And I, I've liked Brock. I even like, I like Brock's promo on Monday on Raw. Me too. I, it it, it too. was good. But there's just like the sense of dread where you're where you're like, oh, we're getting another Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns WrestleMania main event. But not just that. They're doing the one thing with it that makes it worse, which is yes. potentially and we're going to talk about it in a moment. Uh, totally enveloping both brands and both main events yep. by putting both titles in one match. That, that's yep. the only it, thing they could have done to make it worse. And they did it. Yep. It, 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 all of a sudden, Brock Roman is going to be the one and only thing going on. And it, right. like you said, it's going to engulf both brands. The whole, the nice thing about the brand split was that it's been separate. Yep. That we've had two different stories going on that you can get into. Not the, the idea of, oh, we're going to put it together by doing Brock and Roman. It's like when they merged the belts with John Cena and Randy Orton. It's like, all right, we've, we've seen this. We've seen this a million times. This is not... It, 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 it's bigger on paper than it is in practice. And I think most of us are kind of collectively dreading the idea of potentially title versus title, which they've talked about several times. Yeah. And, and, and that's the issue. Like we said on the incident analysis episode. And by the way, I did forget to prompt you all at the beginning of, of the show. If you have not heard our WWE Royal Rumble incident analysis, you need to go back and listen to that before we talk about Raw and SmackDown and everything else that happened. That is a must listen to show, uh, especially because in addition to us breaking everything down and, and informing you, you know, which we try to do about what actually happened on screen, I thought our takes were really strong. And I got some uh, people tweeting me and DMing me, uh, comparing my, now my rant was not as passionate and foreboding as Brian Campbell's was at the time, back from my old podcast, but many of you comparing it to the Dirty Bedsheets episode at SummerSlam, where I was just so completely fed up, or in that episode, Brian was so completely fed up. Uh, that he was ready to give up on WWE. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, you know, I I was so completely fed up at the Royal Rumble. Yes, I'm not yet ready to give up until it all comes to fruition at WrestleMania. If WrestleMania is a terrible yeah. show, which I got to say, based on a couple things we've heard over the last uh, couple days, there's a chance that WrestleMania is a terrible show. Yeah, at, it, at, a, yeah. at a very least, at, at a very least, Chris, from a booking standpoint and a, a match yes. quality standpoint, 
Yes. If it's a terrible I, show, I mean, we're going to have to do some introspection on what we're doing with our weeks at this point. I mean, I'm I've serious. got tickets. To, I've got tickets to WrestleMania, so and, and and so I'm going either way. But yeah, the card as is and as projected in some ways is not one that makes me super interested. Um, it, it feels like one of those going back to the well where it's it's all about just part-time stuff and in, in, in brand name stuff as opposed to the stories. I mean, last year's WrestleMania, we got a star-making moment for Bianca Belair. We got a star-making moment for uh, Rhea Ripley. We got an awesome Drew Bobby match. We got an awesome story for the main event triple threat match. Like, it was all there. Now this feels like, oh, let's go back to the things we do before. Let's get some part-timers back in here to take some big spots at the expense of telling us actually interesting stories involved involving the people that they have. Yeah, it was, hey, the pandemic and pregnancy is over. Let's go back to what we were doing and not and not recognize the strides we made and the things people loved, you know, because yeah. th- they did. WWE did take many steps in the right direction during the pandemic from a storytelling uh, booking standpoint. People they pushed, people they were putting in different positions. You know, we're not talking about the releases here, but they've just completely flipped it in reverse, gone backwards. And here we are again. So, hey, let's talk about it, right? Let's get into the start of the show, talking everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw that did not directly have to do with the Royal Rumble, or at least previewing that, uh, by sliding into the main event. So this entire main event, Chris, is going to talk about the setup for the main match, the Elimination Chamber match at Elimination Chamber, a.k.a. Blood Money in the Sand 6, happening uh, mid-February in Saudi Arabia. Uh, There's a lot that happened on Raw, all setting this up. So we're going to do it bit by bit. We're going to break it all down. And then, of course, we will get to the good, the bad, and the ugly and talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw. So Bobby Lashley and MVP, they opened up Raw, and they're both really upset that they were forced, basically, to defend the WWE Championship, not only at Elimination Chamber, but inside the chamber itself. Lashley said he was better than Brock Lesnar in every possible way, and he proved it at the Royal Rumble. There were heavily piped in boos, and then Brock Lesnar surprised came out in ring gear. I didn't think he was going to be there at all, uh, saying Lashley knows the truth about how he won the WWE title. Lesnar said he'd challenge Reigns for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania, but he would do it in a title versus title match because he wanted Lashley in a rematch for the WWE Championship that night on Raw. Lashley was ready. MVP stopped him. Lesnar called him a chicken shit, and MVP convinced Lashley to leave the ring as they just kept cursing and bleeping. You know, they kept cursing and, and the monitors, TV people, production kept bleeping them. Adam Pierce then said, hey, if you're not going to fight him one-on-one, I'm going to go ahead and put Lesnar in the chamber match for the WWE Championship. Now, there's so much to unpack just here. And outside of the moment, if you, if you put that segment in a vacuum, it was a great segment. Lesnar and Lashley head-to-head, Lesnar's promo, yeah. the, the, the work back and forth. In a vacuum, it was very entertaining and good. But in terms of the storyline and the booking, nothing about it's good. Let's start with the obvious, at least to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. WWE is not putting Brock Lesnar into a situation where he on a microphone is going to say title versus title after Roman Reigns already on his own previously mentioned title versus title a couple of weeks ago to not do title versus title at WrestleMania. And they're similarly not putting Lesnar in a chamber match 
so he can get pinned or submitted and lose the match three weeks after being pinned and one month before main eventing WrestleMania, six weeks before main eventing WrestleMania. So Lesnar, after winning the WWE title at day one for no reason at all, and then winning the Royal Rumble for no reason at all, is going to win back the WWE Championship for no reason at all at yeah. Elimination Chamber. Just let all of that marinate for a second. I'm going to take a sip of water. Uh, okay. And then, Chris, on a two-night WrestleMania where they are trying to sell out both shows in a major metropolitan area, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, WWE is either going to have one world championship match, pre presumably Sunday night, the last match, or what? Maybe they have three and they decide, hey, we'll defend both titles individually on Saturday and then do title versus title on Sunday. The problem with that is that even if they do that, it would be blatantly obvious that Reigns and Lesnar will both retain their titles. So neither of those matches on Saturday would be worth a shit. The only thing this does is it explains Lesnar winning the Rumble because otherwise there would have been an extra challenger out there. And this way, by having him win the Royal Rumble, there's no excuse. There's no one else who could fight well, their way into the match. But, well, there was there was another contender. Well, there is, yes. Out of the Rumble. Yes, the Rumble. But, but, what I'm, but what I'm saying is by having him win the Rumble, they, they said, okay, in terms of people who definitely deserve it, right? They have potentially... Reigns as the Universal Champion, Lesnar as the WWE Champion, and Lesnar as the Royal Rumble winner, which means there's no one else that has a direct claim in a, you know, to, to say, hey, I have the number one contendership. That belongs to the person who won the Royal Rumble. It's absolutely terrible decision making, top to bottom from WWE. They forced themselves into an absolutely horrendous position. And Chris, is there any way what I just explained does not happen. No, I, I, I think it is. I, you have Brock versus Roman headline one night. You have Ronda Rousey headline the other night. It, it makes all sense. I just don't understand why you have to do title versus title in this instance, unless you are getting rid of the brand split. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't understand this title versus title. Why? They don't need any titles between these two. You're going to give them two titles, most likely, to set this up. And it's frustrating because... So Raw starts, you know, Brock comes out, they do their thing, and, and Brock says, Don't worry, Bobby, I'm going for Roman. I'm like, okay, all right, he'll leave Bobby alone or whatever, and we'll get some. And then when he says, No, I'm actually I want your title. I want to do title title versus title. That's when I went, Oh God. That that's when it all, you know, what we it confirmed came, it. It confirmed came, it yeah. came into play. And I don't see any way that doesn't happen. And I don't I don't understand the bet. Look, I'm someone who likes the title changing hands frequently. But I don't understand going from Biggie to to uh, uh, to Brock, Brock to, Lashley. to Lashley to yeah. Brock in the span of like a month and a half. I just it's nonsensical. It's, it's bullshit. It's, it's bad. It's bullshit. It's bad booking. I mean, why have Reigns like like literally the, the thought was, OK, we want title versus title, but Brock is already champion. But Brock needs a reason now to go after Reigns. So it's like, okay, we need to create reasoning for all of this. So we're going to have Reigns screw Lesnar. That creates reason for Lesnar to want to go after Reigns and creates reason for Lesnar to go into the Royal Rumble. He does it. He wins it. But he did get screwed out of the WWE Championship. 
So we're going to give him retribution on that. I mean, the only possible way they get out of this, and I really don't think they're going to, but the only way they possibly do is if they have Roman Reigns, like bring a chainsaw or wire cutters or bolt cutters or whatever the hell, whatever weapon or whatever device to literally forcibly open elimination chamber, pull Brock Lesnar out of it, beat the shit out of him outside the ring, just completely end him, get him medically evacuated, you know, to the backstage area, leaving everyone else in the elimination chamber match. That's literally the only way I can think about it going down. Otherwise, there's no way they put Lesnar in a match like this and don't have him win the WWE championship. And because they're not going to pin him. There's no situation in which he's going to take another fall. He's definitely not going to submit. And I mean, I don't know, maybe Lashley could put the hurt lock on him and and not tap him out, but put him to sleep. I guess that's theoretically possible, but they wouldn't do that either. So by virtue of putting Brock in this match and announcing it the night after the Royal Rumble, they have telegraphed every single thing that's going to happen. And it's literally a worst case scenario for us as a fan, or at least me as a fan. It is the worst case scenario for me as a fan. So the other thing I wanted to mention here uh, before we go and talk about everything else that happened on Raw within the Elimination Chamber situation is this decision by WWE to do title versus title, which again, we are assuming, but the evidence is laying right in front of us here. It casts out so many people who really should be in a main event spot one of those two nights. Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, Drew McIntyre, Big E, I could go on. It would be one thing if WWE was booking its product so incredibly well that the Intercontinental Championship and United States Championships were built up to such a degree where they were supremely relevant, where you could create a match along the lines, let's say, of Chris Jericho versus Kevin Owens, which was a United States Championship match, or Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon, of course, which was an Intercontinental Championship match, and said, this is going to be the men's main event for night one, this very important title that has very important wrestlers going for it. Instead, you have Shinsuke Nakamura, who has not defended the Intercontinental Championship in months. The title itself has not been defended on a pay-per-view, I mean, over a year, I think, at this point. Like, it's, it's insane. And Damian Priest, who they've I'm not going to use the word ruined, but they've certainly saddled him with a very difficult gimmick currently with the United States Championship. I believe Kevin Owens is the number one contender for it because he got, Priest got disqualified in their last match or something like that. So, you know, neither title means anything. So you can't even say, well, it's okay for them to do title versus title because there's a secondary option for them. There's not a secondary option. Now, maybe there's a scenario where I don't know, Owens wins it from Priest and he builds it up to such a degree and Rollins challenges and you get Rollins versus Owens for the United States Championship in a big marquee match. They let him go for 35 minutes. I mean, maybe they can make something like that work, but it's still all unforced errors and it's unforced, terrible booking from WWE where you have Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, not only in the main event of another pay-per-view, which fans don't really want, but were willing to accept because it was different because Brock is completely different than he has been recently because Reigns is on, you know, you can call it God mode. He's on an all-time storyline right now. He's in the midst of it, uh, you know, in terms of a gimmick and a character and everything they've built up for him. 
So you could accept that. You could accept Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar for a championship in the main event. But to take both titles and shove them together on a two-night WrestleMania, that is absolutely flooring to me. And that is why it's so different from the women's main event at WrestleMania 35, because that was a one-night show. It wasn't women versus men. It was a one-night show. So you only needed one true main event. Putting both women's titles on the line in that situation made complete sense. For the men, for a two-night mega pay-per-view that you are trying to sell out both shows, it does not, to me, make a shred of sense. Okay, Chris, so next we got the KO show. Kevin Owens said Lashley as champion was bad. He made fun of the stupendous tagline for WrestleMania and introduced Seth Rollins, who he said got screwed out of the Universal title. Rollins got cheers for respecting the Cincinnati Bengals. As KO told Rollins, he deserved better. Rollins said he now owns a permanent piece of real estate in Reigns' brain, and when he gets back there, he'll return with a title. Rollins also announced he got a guaranteed spot in the chamber, and KO was pretty bothered by that because he had a qualification match later in the show, and he asked Rollins, hey, why don't you go to Adam Pearce, demand I'm automatically in it, or refuse to compete, and Rollins basically said no. Uh, but their interactions between Rollins and Owens, it's top-notch stuff. I mean, it just they remain mm-hmm. great together. Uh, WWE has two great pairings on Raw right now. It's Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins and RK Bro. Both are working incredibly well. Actually, three. Alpha Academy is doing well as well. Uh, but Owens, yeah. Owens is still leaning heel, and now he has resentment. While Rollins is clearly getting face cheers, and it seems like what we thought is actually true that at the Royal Rumble they purposely did a turn for him to make him face. It sure feels to me like we may be headed towards Rollins Owens in a you know repeat, I guess, of WrestleMania 36 uh, at WrestleMania 38. But if they do that, that should be a WWE championship match. It should not just be a singles match or anything like that. Uh, as a singles match, it'd be great, but far less than both guys deserve. Anyway, that's what I took coming out of this segment. So there's a lot going on here. And it's 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 all pretty good. One, Rollins kind of waving away, you know, oh, I didn't win my title. I didn't win the title, but I got in his head. That's fine. I'll come back to it later. They often do that. They often use that excuse to move on from something and it's annoying, but it makes sense in this case. Rollins was not talking about, hey, I'm going to obviously he wanted the title, but his drive with the Roman feud was not to take your title away. It was to mess with his head. That's what he was trying to do. And he did. So he did accomplish that. So that explanation made sense. Kevin Owens coming and saying, hey, hey, put put your uh, elimination chamber spot on the line. You know, demand that I get in as well. That that tracks with a couple weeks ago or last week or something when it was Rollins put his title shot on the line in exchange for the Usos to -hmm. not be ringside. So he has put, he has put his spot on the line before and Kevin Owens wants him to do it again. And he's not doing it here. So it's very clearly getting us to Rollins versus Kevin Owens at, at WrestleMania for sure. But there have been a lot of little friendship details along this path that make a lot of sense. And that's because these two guys are incredibly talented Kevin Owens is so good at pointing out the little things, connecting all the dots, laying it all out there. So, yeah, th- this this was an incredibly smart segment with a lot of nuance that I, I think both of these guys told 
multiple layers of a story. And it was just really, really good stuff. And I love the two of them together. I don't want them to break up. I want them to go be tag team champs. I want this to continue. But they are doing a good job of, of telling the story. Yeah, I mean, I could make an argument that those two versus a newly crowned RK Bro tag team champions yeah. would be an even better Man. WrestleMania match. You, you know, could those... make that a you, you could make RK Bro versus Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins a main event at WrestleMania. You could make it a co-main event for night one. I, I, yeah, you absolutely could, hundred um, percent. And it would also potentially, I mean, we always say revitalize the tag team division. It never lasts that long, but no. it would it would give a lot of attention to the tag team division. They could absolutely. Uh, go in that route if they wanted. But again, it feels like with Rollins and this character, it would be selling that character short. That character right now, it's hitting on all cylinders and it really needs something more to sink its teeth into than a tag team title match. But, uh, you know, other people may say, hey, uh, wow, how lazy a rematch of WrestleMania 36. Sure. But number one, the roles would be reversed. And number two, it would be a very nice long-term storyline, even if it was not initially meant to be that way of that two former rivals getting together as friends and then splitting up, but splitting up in opposite directions. That's a very Mm. good situation for video packages, storytelling, promos. If they do go in that direction, I think it would succeed in a significant way. Um, Yeah. But let's talk about what else happened with Owens here. We had that Elimination Chamber qualifying match, Owens against Austin Theory. KO cannonballed Theory into the barricade, but Theory threw him backwards into the sharp part of the steel steps, which looked very dangerous. Owens missed a jumping moonsault, and Theory hit a rolling blockbuster. They each hit over the knee neckbreakers. KO landed a superkick and a senton bomb for a near fall. Owens then reversed a superplex, but Theory got his foot on the ropes. KO went for his apron powerbomb, but Theory escaped, stood on the apron, kicked Owens, low, I was going to say low blowed him, used the bottom rope to low blow him, and then beat him clean with the ATL in what can only be considered a massive upset. This was a great match, uh, and it was a fantastic job by KO, putting Theory over. For those of you who don't know, Kevin does not go to Saudi Arabia. He does not participate in the Blood Money and the Sanchos. So it made complete sense for him to lose in this spot. And not only did he lose, he put over a young guy doing it. So I respected him for that. This was extremely entertaining. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. Super fun TV match. Yes. And by, by the way, it, it goes without saying, considering we call it Blood Money in the Sand, but your point there about Kevin Owens not wanting to compete in Saudi Arabia. We fully despise this agreement that WWE has with the Saudi Arabia oh, yeah. to do this process. We just let it be known. We can only say it so many times, but since Well, there's a reason I call it there's a reason I alternate the name yeah. of the show with Blood Money <laughs> right. and Yeah. Just, just it's just a reminder that like, you know, we very much don't like this, but we also know that there's nothing we can do about it. So we're just we're going to keep it in that context and just remember right. that. But yeah, this was fun match. Um, I, the, the Kevin Owens, not in Saudi Arabia thing, honestly did not cross my mind. I thought Kevin Owens was going to win. So when Austin theory won clean, I was like, Oh, Hey, that's interesting. And yeah, they, they, they've done a solid job of continuing to build up Austin theory a bit. This is a big win for him. It, it, it advances the Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins story for, 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 for next week and, and moving forward. So again, this is definitely a good, I mean, fun match. Uh, oh, we're not we're not in, in that segment. You don't, need, you don't need to do that. Fun, yeah. <laughs> fun match, interesting result, advanced multiple stories. So good stuff all around. Yeah, for sure. So we also within this whole thing, they somehow managed to include the Alpha Academy Academic Challenge, the scooter race. So we're still we're gonna talk about that now. It's all again, it's all kind of factors in. So they had the scooter race on the show as advertised. 
Riddle and Gable did some comedic arguing. R-Truth was the flag bearer. He waved the flag for a 50-lap race with Gable wearing a speed suit and a helmet and Riddle just in normal t-shirt and shorts. Riddle later ran into Omas for a second, but Omas didn't hurt him. Nothing happened. The Street Profits hydrated Riddle like they would at like a race, like a marathon or something like that, but denied Gable. So Otis had Gable's back. He had a cup of his own. Gable took a sip. It turned out to be steak sauce. Gable spit it out and Otis drank it. And Gable had this incredible line like, oh, sodium. You know, because he would never put salt in his body, his perfectly toned body, right? Uh, hysterical stuff. Gable. He, he, had, tri- he, he had so many good lines. Well, while we're talking about the things he's saying, when he's talking about the spelling bee, he blames uh, it on the, the dude's Irish accent. He says, your accent's been giving me a nightmare for weeks. Kevin, yeah. He says he says he got uh, the, 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 the bodysuit from the speed skating team from the Olympics and, quote, it makes me more aerodynamic when I scoot. Like, just gold, absolute gold. This entire thing from Chad Gable. So many hilarious one-liners in there. I wanted to shout out those two as well. Yeah, so they get to the final segment. He trips at the bottom of the ramp, sold a knee injury. Uh, but Riddle, right as he's about to cross the finish line, Otis runs into him, knocks him off the scooter. Gable gets back up on his scooter, rides a circle around Riddle to taunt him, and wins the race. By the way, Randy Orton was not on this episode at all. Didn't see him one single time. Uh, Riddle was angry at being cheated, so he challenged Gable to a match. Gable said, hey, I'll let Otis fight you. So it was Riddle versus Gable. And then Adam Pierce, I believe it was after a commercial break, surprised everyone, literally surprised me, by announcing it would be an Elimination Chamber qualifying match, which was pretty cool. So we get Riddle versus Otis for a chamber spot. And that did tell me, it did telegraph who was going to win. But regardless, uh, Riddle got his head taken off with a back elbow, basically a Judas effect. Then Otis pounced him. This was a really slow big man style match that it really did not excite the crowd. Otis had an exploder suplex. Riddle came back with some forearms and knees. Then he hit the floating bro, but only landed on Otis's knee. So he tried the RKO, but Otis avoided it. So Riddle jumped right back on the ropes, hit another floating bro while Otis was standing. And he turned that into immediately a pinning combination and a really inventive finish and a win. And I think the finish saved what was a boring match. I gave it three stars and a B minus, but I was well in the C range uh, before that happened. Uh, and then after that, Gable picked a quiz bowl challenge for next week, saying RK bro can kiss a rematch goodbye when they lose. I have to assume that at this point, Chris, it's going to be a TV title match for the Raw Tag Team Championships. I just don't see how they can keep stretching this to WrestleMania. But as far as what we got here, extremely entertaining. Uh, they finally allowed Otis to lose and they had it make sense in the moment. Riddle got put over once again. Gable was the MVP again of this entire thing. He's having one of the best months of his entire career on the main roster right now. And my hope is that WWE is actively noticing what this guy can do. He's doing all of it. He can wrestle. He can talk on the mic. He can make an ass of himself. He can make people laugh. He is crushing it right now. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Owens even tweeted after that segment or bit. He said something like, uh, Chad Gable is fantastic. Is what he tweeted. So he he you know he's it's giving true. him some love. He's been killing it. This yeah, this was fun. Again, like so like you know, there's always you know sports entertainment versus wrestling, and, and we point this out every week that sometimes WWE does sports entertainment really bad, but sometimes they do it good. And this was another example of a, a good fun way to do it. And again, unlike the Street Profits Viking Raiders bit, 
this is finishing with wrestling matches. They're they're doing the funny Correct. stuff. Correct. And then they're giving you the wrestling as well. And it's and happening. That, that, and all of it, the funny stuff and the wrestling is happening in front of a crowd. Yes. And we're in, and we're getting results that, you know, impact things moving on to the next week. So this right. is the right way to do it. It it is I, I like this better. It'd be so it'd be so you know, typical WWE would just be um either you just do the funny goofy segment, don't do the wrestling, or you only do the wrestling and we get the same couple of combinations for four weeks until we have a title match and you're sick of it. This is combining the two and it's really helping the growth of the characters. So th- this was another spot in the show that was great. It really was exceptionally fun. Uh, the third part of what happened was the other Elimination Chamber qualifying match, AJ Styles versus Rey Mysterio. Awesome action to start as Rey put Styles into the barricade with a Hurricanrana. Styles dodged a 619, Mysterio ducked a phenomenal forearm, then countered a calf crusher into a head kick. Styles caught Ray trying a Hurricanrana, but Mysterio escaped into an Avalanche Styles clash. Then, uh, sorry, he escaped an Avalanche Styles clash. Then Mysterio hit a Hurricanrana and a 619, but Styles sat up on the frog splash. Mysterio countered another clash with a seated senton. Then Styles countered an Avalanche seated senton into the Styles clash to advance to the chamber. So a lot of same moves being missed, countered, and then eventually hit. And I thought that was very cool and very unique in terms of the match. The biggest problem, as I said earlier in the show, was the match was only 12 minutes. I could have watched these guys go 36 minutes, three times as long. WWE kept promoting it all show, talking about how it could main event any show, any time of year. And then they gave it 12 minutes in the penultimate segment when it could have gone 25 or 26 because it was the last thing other than Ronda Rousey on the show. So because of that, because it was a 12 minute match, I don't know. I can't go really higher than 3.75 stars in a B plus. I mean, maybe four stars in an A minus, but it didn't get enough time. There weren't really any false finishes, but the wrestling was super fun. The right person won. It didn't hurt Ray. And it was entirely entertaining from start to finish. This was a great match and a great series of qualifying matches for the Elimination Chamber. Yeah, it's been interesting. We've been getting a lot of face versus face or heel versus heel type stuff in these matches. Kevin Owens versus Austin Theory, but then AJ Styles versus Rey Mysterio. And, and yeah, it, it it made sense for AJ to win it. They've clearly kind of reset him coming out of the Omas stuff. He's getting he beat Austin Theory, had a good run in the Rumble, gets this win. You know, like they're clearly building him up to something. Maybe it's Edge. Maybe it's I don't know. But yeah, again, it's just like stakes. Perfectly fine match. Would love more. And a clean winner to move something forward. Like it's just basic stuff. This is why we generally like tournaments when they do it right and not the yeah. Queen's Crown. Um, so I got no complaints. about. I'd, I'd love to see more of it. Sure. But from, from what they gave us... Um, it was good. It was indeed. Uh, so the chamber match, as it's set, just to reset the deck here, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, Austin Theory, Riddle, and AJ Styles. That is a stacked match. Like, let's not get it twisted. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an exciting, very entertaining chamber before we get whatever the finish is. I mean, I, look, I hope it's exciting and entertaining, I should say, off the stop, off the uh, start. Um, so I do think it's going to be really entertaining, really damn good. In terms of booking, let's wait a little bit. Let's see, you know, obviously we're going to have an ultimate preview for that show. There's a, there's a ways to go. Um, but I think I think it's pretty clear that Lesnar is going to win the match. 
Yeah. I mean, it's that or Bobby Lashley, but they've teased title versus title so many times that I can't imagine them not doing it. Yeah. They don't typically do. Brock Lesnar does not make promises and not follow through on them. So. Especially because it can be a scenario where like Lashley gets pinned by Riddle, you know, and then mm-hmm. the champion's out of the match. So Lesnar doesn't have to pin Lashley. So that leaves Lashley open as a future opponent for Lesnar again because they they still don't have a clean win yeah. loss against each other. So there's so many ways they can get around doing it. That's why I think they're doing it here in this way. Uh, before it's, we get it's to gonna the make, it's going to make it's real quick. It's going to make for a really interesting March because this pay-per-view is mid February ish, mid to yeah. late February. WrestleMania is not till April. Uh, it's going to be six weeks between the pay-per-view. They're going to have, yeah, yeah, it could, I don't know. T- I mean, we'll have to see. March could be, March could be a struggle if we know, where, if we already know where we're going. It's going to be really curious to see how, how they put this all together. Especially if, you know, if if Lesnar wins that title at Elimination Chamber, I mean, you know, he's, we already know he's fighting Reigns in the main event. But now you have right. six weeks to tell that story, which you've already told to death. I don't mm-hmm. know how the hell they do that, so. Yeah, that'll certainly be interesting. Uh, a couple things before we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some news reports. Um, you know, I don't I don't think any of these are spoilers per se. There's certainly one that could potentially be a spoiler, but the person involved with it wasn't even on TV last night, and he was supposed to be if this was to happen. Uh, so I think we're pretty safe in talking about it. But there was a couple of news reports that came out after the Royal Rumble. Uh, let's start with the match itself. Two rumors or, or reports there. One is that Shane McMahon was the producer of the Royal Rumble match, which he's been involved in producing the last two, the 2020 match that we absolutely loved and the 2021 match that was totally acceptable. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, he was involved in producing. So he was one of many producers for those matches. But the report is that he was the solo producer for this Royal Rumble match and received a ton of heat backstage because of the way it went down, presumably having himself in the final three um, and coming out late, basically the whole shebang there. And then coupled with that is a report. And that first report, by the way, I believe was Dave Meltzer Wrestling Observer. Uh, the Coupled with that was a report from Mike Johnson of PW Insider that at one point during the week last week, it was Riddle and not Brock Lesnar penciled in to win the Royal Rumble. Now, since that report, Fightful has come out and reported that is not the case. Riddle was never penciled in to win the Royal Rumble, but he was maybe one of the names talked about, but it was always going to be Lesnar, at least for the last two weeks, it was set to be Lesnar. So right off the top here, the 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 Shane McMahon thing, we really didn't get into it that much on the instant analysis. It was such a joke that he and Bad Bunny were in the final five. We, we did briefly mention that. But when you consider that like Shane McMahon was really the only legitimate former wrestler who was a surprise entry in that match, it tells you all you need to know about how poorly that thing was conceptualized. And then to learn that he was the one responsible for it, it literally made all of the sense in the world. I I don't know how much to believe on certain parts of this. Fightful has a very, very good track record on these things when it comes to producers and stuff like that. Um, and they didn't have that first report. I haven't seen what their latest is. I generally try to stay with the dirt sheets, but I see it on Twitter. Well, we don't talk about um, it a lot on here, but that show was so bad. I yeah. feel like it's really necessary to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
the booking of the 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 booking of the, the match is different than who was involved in it. Like I don't I wouldn't say it's Shane McMahon's fault. There were no big surprises. Agreed. No, that, no. But the the way the match was conceptualized and booked yes, was horrendous. We, 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 we talked about it a ton. The first 20 people, you know, once AJ Styles got knocked out by Mad Cat Moss, uh, there was there was nothing of interest. There, there was so many. Uh, th- there was a group of seven people in there, I think, and Riddle was the only one that was notable. It was like Corbin and Boogs and Mad Cat. It's like all these people that just like nobody cares about. That's that's what we complained about it. We, we we talked about it plenty on that instant analysis. If you haven't listened to it, the setup of the men's rumble was terrible. We didn't love the women's rumble in the end of it, but they had surprises. They had little bits of stories throughout. This rumble sucked because it was nothing interesting for the first two thirds of it. And then, yeah, B- Bad Bunny was Shane was a fun surprise. Bad Bunny was a fun surprise. Bad Bunny doing a Canadian destroyer and being pretty good again in the ring was a fun surprise, but that that he, that shouldn't be so late in the rumble, and that he finishes in the top five. That should be in the first third or the halfway point of the yeah rumble. the midway point. They, you surprise people, you get some energy back in yeah, to a long match, yeah. then you eliminate him. You have Kevin Owens yeah. throw him out or someone like that, you know? Yes, uh, exactly. And then the other the other news item was that Dave Meltzer reported that the original plan was for Shane McMahon to be in the chamber match. And to have a planned WrestleMania match against Seth Rollins. Both of those things are just mind-boggling to me. Like, the fact that, again, I'm not taking it as legitimate, exactly. But we have to discuss it as if it was. If they, could you imagine if they had put Shane in this chamber match? And by the way, they still can. We've seen numerous times where someone gets an entry into a tournament or a gauntlet or whatever. And then they go, someone else injures that person and takes their spot. There's an easy storyline they can do right here with him hurting Austin Theory because Vince is paying so much attention to Austin. Mm-hmm. And then Shane gets inserted in. Like, there's myriad ways that you could do it, right? Um, but could you imagine Shane competing in a WWE championship match, an elimination chamber match, out of nowhere for no good reason at all? And then could you imagine him fighting Seth Rollins? And in this case, I will use the full name. Fighting Seth freaking Rollins frickin at WrestleMania as the as a as the big match for one of the most over people in the entire company right now. Absolutely mind-numbing if either of those was true or was close to being true. Yeah, look, look, I, I like seeing Shane. I, I, I do. A lot of people do. I generally am fine with him. But it's it's like with Goldberg, it's like with a lot of these others. You just you gotta only keep them in certain spots. I I'm I want there to be a Shane match at WrestleMania where he jumps off something crazy. Like that's it. That's all we need from him. The Miz match was way better than it at any business being uh, a few years back in, in New York. The Braun match was fine. The story build up to that was terrible, but the match was oh, fine. That story was so bad. Yeah. So like oh. just that's all we need. We don't need we don't need Shane in elimination chambers. You know when you, you're the heel if you're doing that. Like you're the son of the owner, put yourself in the championship match. Like just, just be the fun guy that we like to see that does something crazy at mania. And, and, and that's it. I, that's all we need. We don't need any of this other stuff. Yeah. Like throwing him in the rumble. I had no problem with it. It was the positioning. It was the situation, how he looked just, it's such a joke, but okay, let's move on uh, outside of all of that to the good, the bad and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, 
ugly when your money gets funny and them days ain't sunny. We showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. Man, uh, the way this is going to start is just so depressing. So Ronda Rousey returns to Raw, coming out of winning the Women's Royal Rumble. Two things that, I mean, I don't mind Rousey on TV, but shit, you know. Anyway, this was the main event segment with eight minutes left in the show. Rousey got a pretty big ovation, I will say. Had a scowl on her face going to the ring. And what I'm about to describe to you, like, I, I almost didn't understand it myself. So I could, I may have missed something. It's very possible. It was all a mishmash of words as far as I was concerned. I think she said that choosing between Charlotte and Rebecca, she called her Rebecca three times as if that was super unique, was tough. And she cut a truly god-awful promo. That's the only way I can explain it. Yeah. She said Becky Lynch would be on her undercard and that maybe she wasn't ready to go toe-to-toe with her one-on-one. WWE piped in cheers when she said that as if, Rhonda was the face in a potential feud with Becky. Then Rousey got a couple of real cheers when she called out Charlotte. Lynch said she's the only one to beat Rousey, you know, one-on-one in the ring in WWE, or beat her at all, really. But it made sense for Rousey to go after an appetizer like Flair before facing the main course in Lynch. Lynch asked Rousey to make a decision soon so she didn't stall the momentum that the Raw Women's Division had, which... I don't know what momentum it is. It's Becky fighting everyone and beating them. Uh, Lynch stuck her arm out. Rousey grabbed it in a terribly choreographed moment. She did an arm drag and then threatened an arm bar by just holding it like a child. Then she threw the mic on top of Becky and said she'll make a decision on Friday. Becky said Rhonda was clearly scared of her. I just can't stress enough, Chris. How terrible this entire thing was from start to finish. Ronda's promo absolutely sucked. Becky injected a shred of life into it. Like she made it palatable in some ways, like adding cheese sauce to broccoli. Like, like, but instead of covering the broccoli and cheese sauce, it's like a single drip of it from like a, what's like a medicine dropper, right? Um, Rousey couldn't even capitalize by being smooth with the one thing she can do, which is the physicality. Again, it was like she was holding a child's arm the entire time. It's like she was holding her by two fingers as if it was supposed to be painful. This entire thing, start to finish, was completely ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. You gotta wait for the 0.0 when it's I, well, I, I, sh- I should I should have known it was coming. I should have known. You should know. This it this was the problem with her promos at the beginning where she's not giving a promo. She's just talking like it was like she just came in the middle of a conversation. Right. And she's not projecting. She's being quiet. Just like, how do you not go over that with her in her first time back? Because that was a problem the first time around. Yeah, you're right. It was like she was on a phone call with someone. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, oh, wait, we're we're starting this now. Okay, we're uh, okay, okay. <laughs> and this was uh, let me pull up what my notes were on this. It, it was this was the this was the problem with the idea that Ronda Rousey is going to be a face is that she can't cut the promos to be a face. And it, the, the first thing was nothing. People were getting confused. Then Becky comes out, and my first thought is. Becky, if she wanted to, could absolutely bury her here 
by ripping on her promo, blah, blah, blah. Just like just like Becky did last time. Absolutely. A bit. She, I, I was like, that was a rough debut for Ronda. Becky could bury her here if she wants to. She didn't. And by the way, Becky out there looking like a queen from a deck of cards or something. Hilarious outfit. Just mm-hmm. wanted to shout that out. It was funny. But it, this was such a, a, a miss. It doesn't make any sense for it not to be Ronda versus Becky. I don't think it's going to be Ronda versus Becky, but agreed on both man. Counts, this was yeah. a com- this was this was a complete mess. The armbar thing, I got the idea of it. Like the idea was Becky's talking, 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 and then all of a sudden you remember Ronda shows you. Oh, I remember she's actually a badass who can kick my ass if I'm if I'm if I let my guard down, which is the idea of what Becky did there. Like you said, it just wasn't quite executed there. But the idea of Ronda threatening to break her arm because Becky's talking too much, I get it. It just wasn't executed. Oh, the, the idea, I, the idea yeah. of it was fine. I, the, yes. the, the, the concept. I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, the, the concept of Ronda coming out saying, hey, I won the Royal Rumble. You know, both of these women are beneath me. I'm the best in, in WWE. I'm, I'm a real fighter. You know, the whole deal. I'm fine with that. Becky coming out and, and calling her a weirdo, just like she used to saying, hey, I'm the one who beat mm-hmm. you. So how could you want anyone else but me? Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. And then Ronda doing the arm bar, I mean, like, hey, bitch, I'm the one in control here. You yeah. know, that all makes sense. That it's, it's, it was a it was, the concept was perfectly fine. The execution, the execution was atrocious. And that's always that's the whole issue with Ronda and getting is. back into wrestling is yep. the execution of it. And I again, I liked her first run, but I really like her as a heel where everybody can get behind Becky. Like that was such a good and natural story. So going into a, presumably Ronda Charlotte with Ronda as the face, it's it, Charlotte's going to have to carry that and just get a lot of heat on her. And that just, to me, does not feel WrestleMania probably night one main event, which I'm sure they're going to do. Let me tell you right now what WWE should do. They should take Sonya Deville. They should remove her from an authority role and they should make her the Paul Heyman to Ronda Rousey's Brock Lesnar. She should be oh, the yeah. advocate for Ronda Rousey. She can speak on the mic. They have the MMA connection. Although I don't even know if Sonya ever really did MMA or if it was just kind of part of her gimmick. I'd really have to look. I remember she I'm was not the, sure, yeah. I remember she was the Jersey Devil on NXT uh, when, when she was trying out. Or not, not on NXT, uh, Tough Enough. Um, I don't remember exactly what her background is, but there's something there. She's clearly tough. She clearly can speak. She looks well. She looks good. She can dress in a suit. I would do that immediately. Rhonda needs a mouthpiece. Why is it that for years Brock Lesnar didn't say a word when the guy is charismatic and can clearly talk on the mic, but they have someone who clearly cannot and they refuse to give her any help? It doesn't make a shred of sense. Do you like that idea? I I like the idea, except for Sonya is a heel and Sonya being the the, the mouthpiece for Ronda is still a heel move. But Ronda's not a face. No one likes her. Well, this is this is what the issue is going to be. Whether it's against Charlotte or Becky, the idea is she's going to be the face. They're all heels ish. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't. They're going to have to figure out how to fit Ronda. I think you can make Ronda. I think you can make Ronda a face just by putting her up against Charlotte. Like Charlotte is so good hoping. as a heel that you can do that. Yeah, that's what they're hoping. So we'll see. I don't have a lot of faith in it. Honestly, what you could do, what I think will get a lot of interest in, even though we just changed sides, Paul Heyman as Ronda's mouthpiece would work. 
Paul doing double duty? It. I mean, it would work. It definitely it would, would work. work. But... It would great. People would get behind it, even though he's back with Roman Reigns and not with Brock, and he's back in a heel role. You know, it would still be that tweener spot they probably want for Ronda. Paul Heyman with Ronda would be, I think, the, the right decision. It'd be great, but I mean, I don't know the last time WWE's had one manager with two clients that had nothing to do with each other since, like, I don't know, Jim Cornette? Like, like I mean, long-ass well, I, I mean, Heyman, Heyman did Punk and Brock, but Brock wasn't full-time, so it, it was That's a little true. weird in that period. He, he, d- he also had Cesaro and... and, and uh, Curtis Axel, but none of those worked. All those didn't work. No, we try to forget those, but right. I think it would work with Ronda Rousey. May- maybe. I mean, he, she needs help. Someone, you yes. know what? Stephanie McMahon could do it too. That's another person. Now she wouldn't be a face, obviously, but right. Stephanie can speak on the mic. She has the credentials. You know, Ronda bested her, so she can say that she won her over and she's best for business. Like Stephanie McMahon think- is another person who could come in and do that role. I, I think I think Stephanie would steal the show though, and she probably I, I would, would. We would. We, we would just but, you know but we say that about Paul Heyman too. We do, but Paul Heyman knows how to put somebody over and put somebody ahead of him. I don't know if Stephanie McMahon knows how to do that. True, that's a very good point, very fair point. Okay, so the second half of this was the polar opposite, you know, basically to the first part. Not polar opposite, but it was it was different. So Rousey starts walking out, and I'm looking at my clock, and there's like four minutes left, and I'm, I'm like. What are they going to do now? You know, like I didn't understand. So Rousey starts walking out and suddenly out of nowhere, we get a surprise entrance by Lita who came into the ring, praised Lynch for being the star, called Rousey rude and said, Becky clearly never backs down from a challenge. So Lita challenged Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship at Elimination Chamber. Becky immediately said no. Lita said, hey, Becky, you're clearly scared. So Becky suddenly accepted and realized she got played. She got goaded into accepting When Lita came out, I was slightly worried that they were going to book a WrestleMania match between Becky and Lita two full months out and screw over another full-timer for a part-time challenger. And and spoil the Ronda announcement. And spoil the Ronda announcement simultaneously. Instead, they actually made what I think was the perfect decision. Lynch now has a big-time challenger for what to WWE is an important pay-per-view. She still gets to likely fight Bianca Belair at WrestleMania, which is clearly the match that we all want. I mean, coming out of SummerSlam, it makes the most sense for Bianca Belair to get her win back, to tie that entire thing together. So this also makes me think that the promo Lita cut on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago, where she said, I believe I have one more run left in me. It makes me think that's legitimate, that she's going to do a run all the way through WrestleMania. So now I'm conceptualizing here. I think we're going to get... Lita versus Becky Lynch at Elimination Chamber, which is set. And I think we're going to get either some form of Lita versus Sasha Banks, Lita mm-hmm. and maybe a Trish Stratus versus Sasha Banks and Bailey, or Lita versus Bailey or something like that at WrestleMania. So forget the, the future booking. On Monday night, this was very good. Uh, and what it tells me for the future, I think also is going to be very good. Yes. I, I think those are all possible. True Stratus is working to get in shape. She's continually posting stuff on Instagram. Her and Bailey had a similar post uh, during the Rumble. Uh, so whether that's a tag or a one-on-one, um, I would I'd love that. I, I, I mean, th- it's always been an issue with Mania to to have enough, you know, simply have women's matches, let alone have enough women's matches. Uh, if you get those three, as much as, as frustrated as we are with the Rana situation, those two title matches plus a potential Lita something, 
is is awesome. I, I, I would definitely be looking forward to that. Absolutely. So let's stay with the women and talk about all of those segments before we move on. Uh, Naomi and Sonya Deville had a match, their match that we've been waiting for on SmackDown. Sonya was instructing the referee how to officiate backstage, but he stopped her, said he was going to call it down the middle. Deville came out in all black uh, with her hair, like she had really jet black hair as well. It was a great in-ring look, I thought. Major Victoria vibes from back in the day. Uh, Naomi got some offense early until Sonya hit an inverted DDT off the ring apron. Naomi did a kip up with some kicks, a push off cutter and a bulldog into the turnbuckle. Then she had a crossbody for like a 1.5. Sonya kicked out really early, numerous different times in the match. DeVille drove Naomi into the turnbuckle, hit a really cool vertical suplex forward slam. I have no idea how else to describe it. It was inventive. Pat McAfee did a great job selling the move. Naomi also had a full Nelson slam for a near fall. The ref went to fix the ring apron. So Sonya, I gouged Naomi and rolled her up for a 2.5. And I was just honestly relieved that was not the finish of the match. Uh, Naomi <laughs> came back with the rear view and hit her split leg moonsault for the clean one, two, three in 12 minutes. The crowd did take a while to get into the match, but they did give a great reaction to the final couple of minutes and the finish. Naomi got a celebration promo afterward. She said she was going to win the Royal Rumble. Sonya came in, uh, said she was going to put herself in the Rumble to make sure she eliminated Naomi. And we now know, of course, how all that turned out. This was Sonya's first true singles match in 17 months. She was never the best worker, but it really didn't look like she lost a step at all here. The match delivered. The storyline, admittedly, went on too long, but Naomi eventually got her moment in the sun. It wasn't rushed. They both look good. And it's now to the point where I seriously hope Naomi gets a title shot at some point soon. And Sonya returns to at least being a performer 50% of the time. I want to see her in the ring. It feels like the feud may not be over. I'm not 100% sure. If they continue it, at least Naomi did get the moment she needed to kick it off. Yes. That had been coming for a while. I'm glad she finally got a clean win. You know, they, they teased it so many times. This story, when it started, was really hot. And people were really into it. Then it kind of straggled along for a bit. But this was a good match to finish it. I thought it was a good little part of the Rumble as well. So, you know, we'll see. You're right. Now you got to build off of this for Naomi. She can't go back to just periodically being on TV. She needs to somehow get into a title picture. Maybe that's against Charlotte at Elimination Chamber or just do it on a SmackDown or or something. but. You told the story here. It was a good story. Now, now you got, now use that momentum because I think they did a good job here. I think, you know, Sonya as an authority figure has done a good job. Her her and Adam Pierce, I've, I've really enjoyed them. Even if they've been a little inconsistent from time to time, they've been good. So yeah, this is certainly a good, in a good way to, I assume, end the story. I hope it's the end of the story. And I did, I'll give it a good as well. I did forget to give, Uh, My grade, I I believe she's had two championship contenders matches with Charlotte and lost both of them. I think she was screwed out of both of them also. So it does make me think that maybe she gets the title match at Elimination Chamber or TV, like you said, ahead of Ronda Rousey getting it at um, WrestleMania. Uh, Rhea Ripley fought Nikki Ash on Raw. Nikki tried to trick Rhea to get up on her early as she succeeded. Uh, She got most of the offense in the match, but Ripley at the very end countered a neckbreaker into the riptide for the clean one, two, three in nine minutes. The only issue was half of this was during a commercial break. My guess is it's not the blow off to the feud, which it should have been, and it should have been given a longer runtime, but it wasn't bad. So I'll say good. Yeah, it, uh, well, uh, I don't know. It might be like sometimes, 
you know, they ended the AJ Omos bit with with a TV match, and and that was it. So maybe they it, it, this could be the end. You know, I I, I like the way it played out. Nikki charging her at the beginning and Rhea just shoving her away. Like this was the way it's supposed to go unless Nikki Ash is supposed to cheat to win. Like that's, that feels like the only way you extend it is right. Nikki cheats in some way to get the win. You can continue it. So I think this could be an end, but this has been a perfectly fine breakup. You know, I, I have mm-hmm. no real issues with it. I'll give it a good. And then we got a very similar match later, Bianca Belair versus Carmella. There was comedy in this one, if you can call it that. Uh, then <laughs> Mella outsmarted Belair at first and dominated her for like nearly the entire match. Belair got 30 seconds of offense, but it was at the end of the match and it was just enough to get a KOD and get the win in six minutes. It was extremely boring and poorly laid out, but I'm going to give them credit for it not being too short and it not being interrupted by a commercial. This should be the minimum right here, the bare minimum for any match in WWE. So it's a conditional good on that premise alone. You know, if I was grading the match in a vacuum, it was not a good match, but, but because this was the shortest match, by the way, of the entire week, um, with the exception of one, which we're going to mention in a moment. The second, so I guess it was the second shortest match of the entire week. It, you know, for those reasons, I I'll give it a good. And Bianca Belair won. They didn't do any tricky, stupid stuff with mm-hmm. Carmella. So ultimately, it's a it's a it's a okay, fine, good. <laughs> That's all great. Yeah, I give it. It's an okay, fine, good. But again, yeah. I'll I'll. I'll take a clean finish. Like, yeah. you know, again, this Raw was full of clean finishes in places that we don't normally get them. So that that's good. Two things I wrote down. One, Corey Graves had a line where he was talking about the way he talks about Carmella. And he says, people at home say I'm simping, but I know what it's all about. <laughs> you would hope he knows what it's all about at this yeah, point. Yeah, well, yeah, they have a podcast and they talk about what it's all about. So yeah, uh, hat tip to Corey Graves for that. Also. I thought of this during the Rumble, and it, it was even more so here because of the mask that Carmella is wearing, and because it's brown. Like, I thought it was black. What would you think about or gray or something? It, it looked it looked brown to me. But what would you think about a a, a complete Carmella gimmick change where she's she's mankind, but it's it's womankind. Like she, <laughs> that's what she looked like. It looked like a mankind mask, and I was just thinking, like, what if Carmella? truly believes she's ugly and has to wear this mask all the time and starts cutting promos like Mick Foley in the boiler room or something like see just that <laughs> see see uh, something happening to Carmella like her getting kicked in the head and thinking she's ugly and starting to wear a mask because of it and becoming a better wrestler and, and being more successful because now she's focusing on that that's a really damn good gimmick and storyline for someone right it's unique and different right. and inventive but that, they're not doing it, that. I mean, instead, they only, they only did, oh, she has to put the mask in for the mask and take it off. It's like, get the little quick little bit of heat instead of taking the opportunity to, like, really go in on something. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I had made, someone had made a joke t- to me that she looked on Twitter that she looks like mankind. I said, no, it's womankind. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you should do that. So, I, obviously, it's not going to happen, but it just popped into my head and that would be fun. Yeah, that would be humorous for sure. Uh, okay, so we had Sheamus and Rich Holland against Cesaro and Ricochet on SmackDown. Holland promised to squash Ricochet, and Sheamus gave him the black nose guard. So after last week, me thinking they weren't going to do it, they brought it back. Really nice touch, <laughs> obviously. Uh, Ricochet came out last with an extended entrance and got to cut a promo. I just thought that was notable because we talk all the time about, like, they give Ricochet time, and he's really impressive, and and it's like, 
okay, they're going to go with him. And then the next thing that happens is he gets squashed or he's treated like shit the next week. And then they do this match where no one else gets like the full throat uh, entrance and the whole deal except Ricochet does. So you're like, oh, so they are going to push him. It's just it's back and forth every week. Anyway, Ricochet hit a great tope that turned into a flipping dropkick because Holland did not catch him properly. Luckily, he sprung right up and was okay. Holland opened up Ricochet's mouth with a hard way. Cesaro got the hot tag and hit a European uppercut into Sheamus, uh, threw him into the barricade, and then high-fived Pat McAfee, which was funny. Uh, Rick ate a pump knee as the illegal man. Holland got a blind tag, headbutted Cesaro with the mask, then added the northern brick for the win in 11 minutes. Cesaro sold a broken nose due to the headbutt with the mask, which I believe they said has like a steel nose guard or something like that. Uh, Perfectly good match. Perfectly fine booking. All four guys put in really good work. Holland is still green, as you can tell, but he can definitely go. Cesaro taking the fall was more digestible for me than Ricochet because it really should be Rick beating Holland at some point when the time comes. And I still hope they go in that direction. Yeah, I'm I'm really just out on this story and not interested in the pieces involved. It was fine. Um, but we're going, we're like, we're back to a face mask gimmick. And I was so sick of that with Seamus. And I we guess have, why we have but, two, we just talked about Carmella. We have two of them now. Yeah. But, but like it's, it's whatever. I, I, I'm not giving it a bad cause I didn't actively hate it. I just, I don't care about this whole bit at all. Well, yeah. I mean, we grade these normally in a vacuum, right? So it's like, even if you don't like a storyline, if a match is good, it's good. That's how I kind of. Yeah, the match it. was. It was. I, I, I'll give that a good. It was fine. I'm just. I'm very just whatever on Sheamus and Ritalin. So then we had also New Day versus the Happy Folks on SmackDown, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but WWE had Michael Cole and Pat McAfee call them that, and I could have sworn I coined that name for them on this show two <laughs> weeks ago. I okay, it sounded familiar. I don't remember if you coined it or what. They definitely did not say it before this Friday on SmackDown. It, it's worth it's worth going back and, and I think I need it. to go back and look. Like check I, their YouTube. I think game. I have a case here for gimmick infringement in some It's it's a good name. It's a good name. Yeah. I think yeah. But I mean it's not a good name. It's it's a shitty name for a shitty team, but It's a shitty team, but it's a good name. But That's it's an, like, it's, an a, it's an appropriate name. It's an appropriate yeah. name for them. Um, it, it would just be hysterical and a great coincidence if that's actually what happened. But uh, Kofi Kingston's trust fall outside led to him getting slammed into the post. Kofi kicked out of Happy Corbin's deep six, then combined with Big E for the midnight hour, which we haven't seen in a long time on Mad Cat Moss, with Big E getting the win. This wasn't notable other than Big E being the featured party, which was good to see. Yes. They mentioned on the show that he was on SmackDown. He was back on SmackDown. I thought that meant he was back on SmackDown ahead of the Royal Rumble for one night only, just like, or I guess two nights only, just like he was the week prior. But no, according to reports, I believe PW Insider, Biggie is now on the SmackDown roster. So there goes that. I'll give this a good because there was nothing wrong with it. New Day won as they needed to, and Biggie looks strong. In terms of him moving back to SmackDown, all that really tells me is most likely singles pushover. I don't know. At least main event pushover. At least main event pushover. Yes. It's weird because like his, I'm trying to remember, I'm getting, I'm trying to remember my days because I think we talked about this on the pre-show Twitter spaces or or, which was the one where Biggie made the surprise return to join Kofi Kingston. Was that this SmackDown? That was last week. week. Okay. 
that's okay. I, that, they're all blurring together. But yeah, Biggie is is being featured. He's acting more serious, which actually has me more interested in him as a singles wrestler. But he's in the tag team. I, I think I think they don't know what to do with him, and they they're just having him fill space right now, and, and putting him back with New Day is never not a bad thing. So yeah, I mean he did have a, a long amount of time without them. He did win Money in the Bank. He did win the WWE Championship. But those yeah. all just feel hollow at this point. That's the problem. Yeah, it's kind of you know it was again it was kind of another like at least Kofi thing. had a six month run. Like we all hate the way it ended, but he also beat a yeah. ton of people. Correct. That was the biggest problem with Biggie's run is he didn't beat anybody of note. He, I don't know if he had a pay-per-view win. He lost the title no. in a month. No, he didn't because it was Survivor Series where he lost. They, there wasn't a December pay-per-view. And then he lost the title at day one. And he beat Lashley. He beat Lashley in... in um, he did beat Lashley in a steel cage match. He but did. those were on... Uh, Raw. Those, those were on Raw. Raw so. But he did win. I mean, it was a good match. And it was... He did He did beat him, you know. Right. Fair, fair right. is fair. Yeah. But. yeah that's the thing. <laughs> I don't know what... That's the thing, like... If Lashley's going to lose the title of the Elimination Chamber, there's a lot of people in there that we don't know what they're doing. And Biggie's not in that match, but we don't know, we don't know what he's doing for yeah. Elimination Chamber for Mania. No clue. No so, idea. You're right. No idea what it, this guy who was champion, you know, already this it, calendar year is going to do for wrestling. It's it, it's a, it's a, it's a space to watch. I mean, maybe they get maybe they just say go win the tag team belts again or something. I don't I don't know, but maybe. very curious what the next couple weeks are for him. All right, we had Miz against Dominic Mysterio on Raw. A minute into the match, Miz scammed the referee, very Eddie Guerrero style, by pretending Ray tripped him at ringside. Ray got ejected. Dominic was distracted by the ejection, and Miz hit Dominic with the skull-crushing finale for the win. We're again in that not-good-or-bad territory, given it was just Dominic, and clearly part of a developing storyline. I was okay with it from a circumstantial perspective, but it felt to me like a total waste of TV time, when you can do the same thing, but let them actually wrestle for six, seven, or eight minutes. So because of that, I'm going to say bad. I, I, I'm saying good because I can I can see the story they were going for. It's good that Miz got a win back, you know, after losing all the edge matches. My 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 only real reaction coming out of this was, how did you not do a Ray Dominic Royal Rumble spot? They teased it for weeks. <laughs> You know that they yep. Ray kept throwing Dominic over. You were wait, oh the Rumble's going to come and one of them's going to do it to the other one and that's going to speed up their falling out and they just didn't do it. Or even I mean, if they got, or even if they teased it, we're like Ray could have gotten him out, but like patted his son on the back and said, yeah, "Come on, like, man!" You know, it was it was a story they built up and yeah. then did nothing with it at the Rumble. That yep. goes back to Shane or whoever was booking the Rumble, just not doing that. So when this happens, like okay, they're going they're going back into that story now. Okay, it's back on track now after a pretty terrible rumble situation. So that's why I generally thought good because all right, Miz gets a win. It was a clean, cleanish finish. And okay, we're back on the breakup storyline. Uh, so yep. story-wise, I gave it a good. Angel Dawkins fought uh, Dolph Ziggler on Raw. Dawkins got the hometown Cincinnati shout out. He got caught with a knee at the bell as Ziggler dominated. Both went for tags in their corners, apparently forgetting that they were in a singles match, which I don't know how wrestlers <laughs> would forget they're in a singles match. That was strange. The crowd, I forgot, yeah. the crowd was mostly dead for this, but Montez Ford got a little bit of life in it for the finish. Dawkins then countered Ziggler into the double underhook twisting neckbreaker for the win. So Dawkins had his bangles win on Sunday, and then he won a singles match over Dolph Ziggler, former champion, Monday on Raw, quite a 48 hours for him. This was not particularly exciting, but there was also nothing wrong with it. So I'll just say good. I, I, I gave it a good because again, hey, 
clean finish. And it was it would have been so easy to just put Montez Ford here and just have him do this. So it was really nice to see Angelo Dawkins get an opportunity. And he looked pretty good. The match was good that he did the one hop over uh, the hop over Dolph who was leaning over. That was that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was good. Also, Dolph did the icky shuffle. I don't know if you caught that. I did not that catch was, that. That was, that was a nice, nice little bit, too. So this was again, it was like another, this was an example of like, you know, sometimes oh, it was fine, whatever. But this was like, no, this was all right. It was good. It well, was fine. Uh, on a three hour show and just like Dynamite, too, you know, we talk about it with AEW. Not every match is going to have the right. biggest storyline behind it or it's going to be the most exciting match. But you just don't want bullshit. So, yeah, exactly. so with WWE, they actually do get I, I try not to grade them on a curve, but they do get credit sometimes when like we, we went through we sat through SmackDown and Raw and there was not a single match that had a disqualification or countout. I don't think there was a single match that had a roll up finish either. And I think the only one that had a distraction finish was the Mysterio one with um, Miz. And that was directly for a storyline. I think they're probably going to do a Miz, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio type of storyline where like he gets, you know, in, in his head, very similar to the one uh, that they were doing previously with the Mysterios where, you know, so, uh, I think it was Sami Zayn was trying to split yeah. them up on, on SmackDown um, or I, Raw, whatever the hell they were. So I think the way you put it is we don't want just it's not bullshit. Yeah. So <laughs> across both shows, we didn't really get bullshit this week. Mm-hmm. And that's good, you know? So, all right. Uh, Alexa Bliss was back in therapy for the fourth straight week, uh, saying Lily had always been there for her. They showed a Photoshop pictures of Bliss with Lily when she was younger. I thought that was actually pretty cool that they went ahead and did that. Uh, the therapist then gave Bliss a replica Lily that he was sure to shout out was from wweshop.com. She started getting emotional. Then she held it and cried. And that was it. So if they're doing this to completely end this gimmick, and it's a way of telling a story to get Alexa Bliss back on television without any of the crazy bullshit, then I am willing to enough to buy into it and keep my hopes up. But if this is all a roundabout way to just continue it where she's unable to break free from Lily and she's the same character when she comes back, then it's going to be an absolute disaster. So I'm going to split the difference between good and ugly, and I'm going to stick with bad here. But I would really like to see this go in a better direction. Look, I, I was the one who, after the after last week's, um, had given it a good and thought it was moving in a positive, you know, direction. It was progressing. We were starting to get the backstory on, on Lily, and it was opening up. But now we're just back to whatever. He's pulling out a, a fake Lily he got on WWE Shop. Alexa Bliss's outfit isn't changing anymore or it's just it's just it's not progressing through four well, of these like i went to look i was like is she changing physically through these and she's not she's a couple different outfits but like it's not like anything noticeable is changing so, so. i took it to mean i just want to interrupt one thing before yeah. we continue i took the whole lily doll thing to mean that it's a step in her recovery so like if you're it scared of if you're scared of flying they have classes for that one of the things they do is they rent out a plane that stays on the ground and they put you through the process of like going on the plane, sitting in your seat. You don't take off and then you get off the plane. So I took that to be this where it's like, okay, this isn't Lily. Lily's gone. She's torn up. But let me give you a replica. Or like if someone's a smoker, let me give you a pack of cigarettes, but you can't smoke them. Can you get past that stage where you have them in your hands, but you're not smoking? So I took that to be a progression. That's the exact reason I did like it, actually. Maybe I, you, you might be right. I, I, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way in the moment, but 
It's just we haven't seen enough progression through four of these that I have any faith or resolutions coming soon. And I, I, I think that's I think that's the biggest frustration. Now, through a month of this, we still have no clue if she's what she's going to do. And I think that's a problem. If you do if you're doing four, technically five, because two this week vignettes, like you got you, you have to have hooked us by now, and and it hasn't happened. Yeah, that's totally fair. On SmackDown, apparently they're still doing insane, or at least they were ahead of um, Royal Rumble. Jinder Mahal and Shanky were the guests. They turned the segment into a live podcast. They told Sami Zayn that Johnny Knoxville and Jackass is huge in India. Pat McAfee gave Sami like shoot podcast pointers. Fans booed the segment. Shinsuke Nakamura got a ridiculously awesome new augmented reality entrance that totally made me pop. Uh, Nakamura yeah. then kicked Zayn, who's the number one contender, by the way, uh, kicked him once, go to commercial. We come back. It's Nakamura and Rick Boogs against Mahal and Shanky. Boogs wore a plain red singlet and had a really impressive actual suplex of Shanky. Zayn then pulled Nakamura off the apron. Boogs hulked up in the corner and did an absolutely insane pump handle slam of Shanky called the Boogs Cruise for the win. Uh, look, I love to see Boogs getting the spotlight, okay? And he really got a chance to look impressive in this match working with Shanky, but it just was not enough for me to save what overall was a bad segment. Nakamura tweeted that he got cleared last week from his hand or wrist injury, whatever it was. So I assume we're going to see the Intercontinental title defended at Elimination Chamber, or I'm sorry, Elimination Chamber Zine's not going to go. So on TV, maybe the go-home show to Elimination Chamber. I have to assume we'll see the title defended so they'll finally progress in that direction. But this whole thing with Nakamura and Boogs, I love them together. I love them separate. It's got to get moving. They have to do something with it. Nakamura has to win, compete. It's just, it's the same thing every single week right now. And it's really annoying. Not gonna lie, I missed this whole segment. Apparently, okay. I'm not sure if I was not in the room or what, but uh, I was unaware of that. But I, was, I did see the new Nakamura augmented reality bit in the Rumble, which was great. I saw Boogs's outfit in the Rumble, which was not great. I mean, the the, the singlets, whatever. But again, I don't understand the hair. He is incredibly physically gifted, and he's fun to watch wrestle. I just I don't understand why they changed a look that was really working for a lot of people. It's it, it's yeah, a demonstrably yeah. worse look in every way. It, it it's really just the the and, and then bigger picture the state of the Intercontinental Championship is so bad that you know it's it's barely mentioned when Nakamura is in the Rumble. He's eliminated early without much fanfare. The Sammy thing. Sammy's been dealing with Johnny Knoxville. Like just get the title off of him. Get it to somebody and do something with it, man. Also, I still hate the design. Just it's an so incredible. Ugly. I, it's just an incredible fall for the inter, Intercontinental title from where it was not that long ago. Ever since they changed that design, it's been completely downhill the entire time. It's just been absolutely horrendous. Uh, two more things and we'll get out. The Viking Raiders confronted the Usos backstage. The Raiders showed off their axes uh, as if they were supposed to be intimidating, like when Drew has a sword or something. Uh, WWE is trying to legitimize the Raiders again, but their booking has to this point been a total failure. They aren't even leading into the comedy aspect anymore. Like, all the stuff that we actually like, the, the corny stuff, they're not doing that either. So this is just bad. It was just really bad. Yeah, it's, it, I give it an, uh, an ugly. It, it's again, it's like you said, I don't understand what they're supposed to be. Are they supposed to be feared? Are they supposed to be physically in, intimidating and they 
dominate their opponents? No, because they've been losing some matches. They're not leaning into the, the comedy. You know, I again, I liked that whole bit with the Street Profits. It added a lot of character to them that we did not have before. But we're not doing that either. They're just like, they're caricatures. They're nothing. And that's not on them. They're, they're really talented dudes. I just don't understand what WWE is trying to present them as and how I'm supposed to feel about them. Yeah, it just doesn't make a shred of sense. And last, Veer, I think, got a new vignette. I believe it was I, new. I think so. I think it was new. Saying he finally has set his eyes on prey and was ready to strike just like a lion. But it still said coming soon. It didn't say coming next week or anything. Yeah. So I presume he's going to be on TV soon. Uh, it's time to send Veer. It's time to get Veer on my television. I, I, you know, I, I got to say, I actually want to see him at this point. And I hope it's not a Funkasaurus thing at this, you know, I just hope they don't go don't, in a ridiculous direction. I don't think they, I don't think they will, but yeah, it's, it's been built up in a way that it's kind of hard to, to get to it. So curious, but again, I don't even grade this every week cause it's whatever until he comes. We'll see for sure. Well, that is it this week from the good, the bad and the ugly. And as far as I'm concerned, this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast. I am legitimately surprised I made it through because uh, I still am not feeling well, uh, but I am going to from this point now until Thursday, probably not say another word to anyone because we will be back with our next edition of the show talking all things AEW and NXT. And then, of course, we will be back next Tuesday with our WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A reminder before we get out of here that this show, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating. Also on Apple, leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. I will see you all on Thursday for Vintage Christmini. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you as always three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>